Happy Thursday. Yes, that's right. Not my usual Friday. Ariel from Figures here, and I have a special episode for you. Early in the week, I hosted a live event to recap WWDC, that's Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference, and cover everything that's new and matters for developers from a business perspective. It was really insightful, so I wanted to share it through the podcast as well. I hope you'll enjoy it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to an AF chat with me, Ariel, and I have Joe with me here. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of AppFigures. And I'm sure you know because you're here. And Joe, give us a quick uh, about me. Uh, I'm a developer and designer uh, making mostly iOS and Mac stuff uh, in Boulder, Colorado. And I have a podcast called Release Notes, uh, something you may have heard of that we've been doing now for 400 and some odd episodes. Wow. Yeah. That's got to feel good. 400 plus episodes. When I crossed eight from my (laughs) podcast, I felt like, yes, this is happening. I think now we're at 17. We didn't think we would get to 20, and here we are like five years later, <laughs> six years later. It's, it's pretty wild, but never missed a Monday. So, yeah, we're doing well. <laughs> I know the feeling. So that's great. I've had Joe. I've been hosting Joe, what is it, four years now? Maybe this is year four, year five, uh, every Something year at like the that. end of WWDC to talk about all the good stuff that happened in WWDC, but specifically with the lens of app developers and app businesses, which is very uh, similar to what Joe talks about in his podcast. So it's always good to have, it's great to look at iOS, the next iOS and say, oh, these are all the great features and um, this is going to make users so happy. But as an app developer, as really an app business owner, you want to think, but what can I use to, what can I leverage to get even more? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. It was a, a packed event. I mean, there's so many features that I have multiple lists of features. And uh, Joe and I were just talking just before we started recording. And I don't. I, I want to get to all of them, but I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm going to try. But we'll start with. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you, Joe. What What is that? What What's the one thing that you really, really like this WWDC from that business perspective that you think will be really good for developers? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so refreshing to, to chat with you. You're one of the the small circle of uh, friends in this community where I can I can say. Yeah, you know, my actual answer rather than saying, hey, isn't async await awesome? Uh, yes, async await <laughs> is awesome, but I'm not interested in that today. I'm interested in StoreKit 2. Uh, StoreKit 2 to me was the blockbuster. I've been wanting Apple to do this for a long time. I used to scream it into the cloud like an old man. Uh, you know, why is this so hard to do subscriptions and simple validations, right? It's a, and, uh, you know, I just said, just tell, I, I want subscriptions to be as easy as paid upfront apps and to set up. And to, uh, you know, because I feel like it's a huge barrier to entry for a lot of new developers, a lot of small, very, you know, very indie people who want to put an app on the store, end up probably just charging up front or just giving it away for free because it's so much of a hassle to set up a server and do all this validation and all this Mm -hmm. extra stuff and like poking through Apple's receipts to figure out like who's, you know, who's in a grace period and who's, you know, but they made all of that stuff way, way, way better. It's not as quite as easy as saying, hey, Apple, am I subscribed or not? But it's pretty close <laughs> to that. Uh, yeah. And so, so uh, yeah, the, the advancements in StoreKit 2, uh, even if you are an advanced kind of person and you want that data and you do want to set up a server for your own validation because maybe you're cl- cross-platform and other things, um, they made massive improvements for that as well. So yeah, across the board, StoreKit 2 is by, they could have just announced that and I would have just been, I would have said, okay, I'm done <laughs> for the week. <laughs> That's all I needed. Yeah, I think that's going to be so so much more useful than anything else. And I'm I'm sure you're right. I'm sure a lot of people have held off on subscriptions, even though from everything I've seen, if your app kind of fits the subscription model, it will do better with subscriptions. So it will give you more incentive to update it. It will give users more incentive to stay and, and keep using it. 
So it's it's a win win. And I also love that now they do um now they give you the ability to request a refund right from within the app. I did yeah, not think this was going to happen. <laughs> I never thought this would happen. Uh, and it's really nice. I know some people will be like, hey, I don't want them to, I want it to be convoluted so they can't get a refill. But no, <laughs> I, wa I want to have a simple link in my app because, you know, if you've handled that customer support situation nearly as often as any of, you know, any of us who have an app for a few years on the store, you know that people are constantly asking for refunds. And now I've got like this boilerplate, you know, email that I send to say, here's the list of convoluted instructions <laughs> you need to do to go and request your refund. You know, it's just explaining to them that I don't have your money. Apple does. Right. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. You need to get it. I, I never got your credit card. I never they, like the average person doesn't understand these differences. Uh, yeah. And so being able to go right into whatever panel in your app, the settings or wherever you want to put it and have a re request refund button, have a system dialogue come up. They can mm -hmm. start the process. Now we still can't authorize it, but the other nice thing is, I don't know if the, a lot of people have been watching these sessions, but like we actually get to give input in that. So Apple, like, so what happens once they request a refund, uh, Apple will come to us and say, hey, so-and-so requested a refund, give us any information you might have. And you can say like, oh, this is like the 50th time they bought this thing. So they're <laughs> claiming they didn't know, like, you know, that kind of thing. You, you can actually give Apple some info to say like, oh yeah, absolutely give this person a refund versus, uh, you know, it's still their decision ultimately, but you have some influence over that. So if you have a scammer who's trying to just like take a consumable, use it, and then get their money back, you can actually let Apple know that, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I, I think I think StoreKit 2 is just a win-win. There's a question from Susanna asking if StoreKit 2 means Revenue Cat is no longer useful. Uh, I don't really question. know the answer to that. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think you'd want to talk to the Revenue Cat people for sure. Yeah. I, th I definitely think they're going to be offering some things that Apple still isn't going to offer, right? Because Apple always does that sort of get you so far, but then yes, yeah. for, I think Revenue Cat will probably lose some people who otherwise would be like people on their free tier, probably. Yeah. They might have fewer of those, but I think people on their advanced tiers, the people who are actually paying Revenue Cat money, uh, will probably stick with them for various yeah. reasons. One, one of which might be that you're cross platform. I mean, if you yeah. have an Android app, none of this stuff in StoreKit 2 is really going to help you. Per se, yeah. Um, unless you want to run a, a completely separate validation system for for your Android, so um, yeah. I, I, I again, I wouldn't want to speak for them. They don't seem nervous. I mean, from what I've seen of their tweets and everything else, they seem like they're they're on top of it. They're they're giving people information about what's available. They usually get excited, sort of like we do, uh, the folks over there when uh, when Apple releases something better. <laughs> right? yeah. I mean, it's like we all want what's better for the whole community. Uh, so I think they're I think they're going to be okay. But again, if you're a beginner and you have to set up a subscription. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's more likely people will just run to the, the, the uh, built-in system at this point. Yeah, and from my experience with analytics, when Apple releases a new update to App Store Connect or either a new App Store Connect altogether when that happened a few years ago or when they first launched the mobile app, we also thought, hmm, this is going to be a little bit of a problem. But ultimately, we had so much more value on top of it that these just are a catalyst for people to ask, what else can I do with my data? And like, oh, I can see it all in one place. Why didn't I, how, how do I do this? Oh, go to app figures. Okay. So yeah. I, I definitely think there's more to it. Um, it's it's not going to be pleasant, but it's also not going to be terrible. And I think more people using subscriptions is the right way to go. If um, I'm sure some of the users here are not going to love this because paying monthly is never fun, but it just makes more business sense. If you're running, I've been a huge uh, proponent of subscriptions really the longest time. When I started subscriptions back in uh, 2009, people were like, no one's going to pay you. Developers are never going to pay you monthly. Like, well, we'll see. I'm here. So <laughs> there's definitely a lot to it, more, a lot more than just the monthly payments because it comes with value.
Absolutely. And that's the thing is the longevity. And that's where you sell it to a customer. It's basically like, do you want me to be here in five years? Because you've exactly. seen plenty of apps come and go who are, that looked awesome because they only charge you 10 bucks up front or even 30 or $40 up front, but then you, they never ask you for money again. Yep. And you know, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the whole upgrading path thing, like that ship has sailed. Apple's not going to do that. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> subscription is their answer to that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. It's like, do you want to be in business five years from now or not is basically what it comes down to. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think one of the things that I are kind of key to this entire uh, iOS 15 WWDC this entire year to me was they're giving all the options. They're putting all the options out there for developers to decide, do we want to scam or do we want to be good? You know, good developers, good business owners, and build something sustainable. So just like what we're talking about, uh, Storekit and making refunds more convoluted, the a real business cannot be built on just the you know the sense that people can't get their money back. So abuse them. It shouldn't be built right. that way. Those businesses yeah. should fail. One thing people should, even those people should be happy about is like, for instance, like managing subscriptions, they also gave us the ability to just press a button in your app that would bring up the manager own personal subscription rather than having to send them out to the settings app. Yep. And the cool thing about that is because in the old days, you know, right, well, the current state of affairs, when you do that, you bounce out to the entire subscriptions page. And mm -hmm. now you see all your subscriptions be like, oh my God, I'm yep. still subscribed to that. Cancel, cancel, cancel. You know, so Apple yep. probably figured out like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> Let's just show them your app, <laughs> which they, you know, they clearly want to manage. And so like within your own app, your panel will show up with just your current subscriptions and your auto renew settings and stuff. And it yep. won't necessarily affect other developers who, you know, are, you know, happen to be, <laughs> you happen to be subscribed to. It won't give them another moment of pause. So that's actually a good yep. thing there too. And again, very, very uh, pragmatic for Apple. They they probably were fully aware of how many people went over to that page and canceled more than one subscription <laughs> yeah. while they were there. It's also a little bit more overwhelming. I wanted to upgrade a subscription that I had for uh, for my notes app from Bear from a monthly to a yearly because I just use it all the time. It doesn't make any sense now. And I want to pay the more. I think that subscription is way too low. If you're in the crowd, Bear, please increase your subscription. I remember when people <laughs> used to say that to me years ago, and I was like, these people are crazy. Um, nope. Right. Not crazy, <laughs> but <laughs> it bounced me out of this, out of the, out of the app, which took me by surprise. Even though I know how this works, it still took me by surprise, and I had to click around and figure out what's going on. And then there are a few more messages. Like if you streamline this whole thing, I would have upgraded much more easily. I still upgraded, yeah. but it's um, one of those things where you want less decisions, less on the screen, just focus, mm -hmm. focus, focus, and that works. It's it's a it's an old relic of the iOS like one or when it was still iPhone OS, uh, the original design and the idea that Apple had was that all settings for all apps would live in the settings app and people would just learn to go there and they didn't want to have a settings panel in your app at all. Mm -hmm. And so I remember them officially discouraging that even in the app store guidelines early on, like, oh, put all of your settings in it. And then they're like, okay, put them over there, but like, we'll, we'll give you a link to go there. And it's like, it's just, yeah. they kept fighting it and they kept fighting it. And I think Apple finally mm -hmm. realizes that people expect to find settings for an app inside that app. <laughs> like they don't yeah. want to be bounced to somewhere else. And so, yeah, they're finally coming around to that point of view, but it took them a long time to get there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot to uh, to store There's a lot to subscriptions and there's a lot to what you can now do. I think we can probably have two, three more webinars just on that alone. <laughs> uh, what I'm very, very excited for and kind of in the same boat of if they had just done that, I would have been happy for the next three years probably is A-B testing in the App mm -hmm. Store. 
I, I wrote a guide on how to do A-B testing on Google Play, which offers it natively a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago. And people have since been asking me all the time, how do I do this in iOS? How do I do this in the App Store? And I was like, well, you have these hacks. You can go outside the store. You fake a landing page. And no one wanted to do it for a reason. It doesn't make any sense. And now that we have the ability to A-B test all the visuals, icons, screenshots, videos, like why would you ever not want to A-B test them? Unless you trust yeah. yourself amazingly, amazingly <laughs> so, and you're like, I know that this orange background is going to be perfect. I don't know. <laughs> I want to test. I wrote it. Yeah, I wrote it right the first time. There's no way it could possibly be done <laughs> yeah. better. Yeah, exactly. Like that's like the polar opposite of your point of view on this thing. Yeah, and, I, and yeah. I agree. It's it's one of those things that yes, it's time consuming, and yes, I know you want to be playing with SwiftUI, but it really behooves you to spend some time. <laughs> Even playing as, as something as simple, the examples they were showing of just changing your icon color and seeing, like, yeah. does that make a difference or not? And I love that they put it, they made it such that if, if a person, like if you have a red icon and a blue icon, two different pages, and a person uh, gets the red icon version of your store page and they they buy the app or they download it, that that color icon will be the one that shows up on their home screen. You know, it's like, that's so Apple. They followed all yeah. the way through with that. So even when you're testing your icons, you're not going to get a weird surprise. Yeah. Where the heck is this app? Like you can, you can make a completely different icon uh, and the customer will still recognize that when it comes, uh, when it lands on their, on their homepage. Uh, yeah. I think it's, this is going to be huge market. Every company I've ever done contracts for like the marketing department hates all these restrictions on the app store. They always feel like I have to pull all my marketing out to my own landing pages. And then you're like, we're sending them to the app store as a last thing just to download the stupid thing. <laughs> like, like they almost pretend that doesn't exist. Um, but given that like 70% of people are getting to you or what, what is the current percentage of people getting to your app via search in the app store itself, right? It's still really high, right? Yeah, it's it's fairly, fairly high. Yeah. So, I mean, at this point, like that is where people are seeing your app, a mm -hmm. high number of them. So like <clears throat> it, it really makes sense that for Apple to give us the ability. I just never thought they'd do it, uh, the ability yeah. to do that. So the way they did it, though, it's interesting. So you have up to four variants, I think, of your actual three variants. Okay, three variants uh, that show yep. up on the on the actual um, search results page, or if it, you know someone's just looking for it on the store, or if they feature you or whatever. But then you get thirty five additional URLs that you can use for yep. marketing emails and other things like that. So you could send someone to your app via yep. your own landing page or something like that. And there, it's like the sky's the limit. But you do have to get them all approved, which does does yep. make sense. But but um, yeah, you can really go crazy with the testing. Yeah, absolutely. You need to get them approved, but you don't need to submit an app update. I think right. that's the big one. So I talk to, I, I talk about ASO and keywords and and testing and all that, and people go, oh, but if I want to test my screenshots, I have to release an update. I go, yeah, but you know, it's a small price to pay in order to actually have knowledge about what works versus what doesn't. Like, yeah, maybe I'll do it with my next update. I'll think about it. Now you don't have to do any of that. Not none of that decision making of should I do it? Am I going to worry about it now? Should I worry about it later? No, I think it's great. I think A-B testing and the custom landing pages serve different purposes and should be used a little bit differently, but they're both really, really interesting. And the fact that we have 35 custom pages, thats it sounds like not a lot, but for Apple, 35 of anything is a lot. So, <laughs> it's such a weird arbitrary number. Why 35? Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to figure out like seven times five. I'm like, no. I'm like, <laughs> like, what is 30? What's the significance of 35 and not 36 or 40 or I don't know? Yeah, or 100 but, or 50. Yeah. Well, I know they, they know that if they made it like 100 or 150, that you would use them all. So <laughs> they're like, okay, we yeah. we know some people will use five, and some people will want to go crazy with it. So we have to set some sort of limit. But yeah, I think it's it's an acknowledgement by Apple that we're you know, hey, all right, these folks are running businesses, right? And exactly. it's also acknowledged, like if we do better, if they do better, right? They're going to make more money if we're making more mm -hmm. money. So 
why wouldn't they give us these tools? But it, you know, I think it just takes Apple a long time to come around to that idea that's, um, you know, that give up a little bit of the control over your precious app store look and feel. <laughs> but yep. at the same at the same time, like not everyone's going to see the same app store anymore, right? We'll all get different versions of these pages. But yeah, at the same time, we're all going to make more money. So I think it's a good thing. Yeah, Another absolutely win win. Um, I yeah. do think that this is Apple's acknowledgement of they're running businesses. Um, app store optimization is a real thing. The app store is not as closed off as people make it seem to be. Right. And ultimately, that's just how it has to be. I was talking to someone who who works at Apple um, last week, and we were talking about the Epic versus Apple whole thing. And he was asking me where I stand on it. Like, is 30% really too much? And I was like, absolutely not. Sure, it sounds like a lot, and it seems like a lot. And now it's no, no longer even 30% for some, for some companies. But there's just so much that comes with it that you have to remember that and put that in perspective. And I think it does take Apple a long time to do things, but it's because they do them the Apple way. They don't just yeah. do them. So like what you were saying with the icon, you don't see that on Google Play. And I think ultimately having A-B testing years before could be seen as a po more of a positive than, oh, my icon is not going to be the same. But it's that little attention to detail that I think makes iOS the platform of choice for so many developers. And that's why we're seeing it. Yeah, and it emphasizes the Apple's priorities, right? It's Apple first, then the customer, then the developer. Right? <laughs> so, like, they're like, "Oh, customers will be confused if we give them a different icon than what they bought." Yeah, right. And so they thought of that before they even released it to us. But yeah, exactly. Those kinds of things, those details do matter at the end of the day because you want you want happy customers, you want customers who keep coming to the store and keep trusting the store, and that's the part I think that it gets lost in the Epic debate. Like a, a lot of people like, oh, yeah, sure. Epic is a, is a huge gaming company. Like people will gladly give them their credit card because they know who they are and they've been giving them money for years. They're not going to do that for me. I'm just like yeah. some standard. They're not going to put down a credit card for Joe in Boulder. Right? So like, <laughs> like I think a lot of indies imagine that like these alternate payment things would be like a huge boom for us. And I'm like, I don't think so. I think 90% of our customers would end up wanting to use in-app purchase anyway. Um, yeah. Just for the convenience Absolutely. of it, for the security of it. Like, uh, yeah, to me, it's like, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if that's the thing that like. I don't want to ruin the app store over that. You know, mm -hmm. over giving Epic more money because I'm not going to make any yeah. more money. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly the point. It's ultimately ruining the app store for something that isn't necessarily right, isn't necessarily true, or isn't necessarily going to work. And um, right. I mean, speaking of Epic and and, uh, and and like the app store in general, another thing that I've seen a lot of is privacy and. More of the all the talks about uh, scam apps that people have been bringing up over the last few months. I had a live chat with um, one of the guys who's really spearheading this whole, there's so many scams on the App Store a few weeks ago. And when I saw the changes to the guidelines, I was yeah. like, oh, it's got his name, Costa, written all over these guidelines, <laughs> if you uh, know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And they, they should have just named the guideline. They have <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Little addendum. Well, yeah. But now, yeah, we are actually well, a couple. There are actually a couple facets of this. So, for one, uh, we as developers are allowed to rat out scams that we see, <laughs> which is kind of cool. We're actually able, finally, finally, yeah, we're able to report apps that we find. Like, I'm like, yeah, they probably noticed this guy's doing all this work, and you know, you know he's pointing it out on Twitter. Why, why don't we just get him to write it directly to us? Um, mm -hmm. I think that's great. Uh, but the other one is that if you get rejected, because you know, again, like if if someone thinks you're a scam and you're not, you get the the ability to. Um, I mean, again, this is sort of like when you can appeal a, a rejection in general, yeah. but like you, you can specifically, specifically call out that you think you're being singled out for a political reason. Um, you know, I think about, um, you know, these, what was the, uh, uh 
what was the social media app that got pulled off uh, recently? Parlor, that was it. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is like the parlor rule. Like basically they're able to say, hey, you just don't like us because we're conservative. Like you're able yeah. to at least voice that. Uh, and it's, it shows that Apple at least wants to listen. I mean, whether or yeah. not that's going to make a difference in their decision making, <laughs> I don't know. But Parler is back, I think, um, yep, on the store. So, like, yeah, I, I think that Apple is is trying to be, you know, at least publicly looking like they're being more fair and giving you a voice. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. But, yeah, th- I, I do worry a little bit about, like, co- competitors coming in and saying, like, oh, he's a scam. He's a scam. Just to, like, try yeah. to, like, slow me down. Uh, but I don't think that'll happen too much. What do you think? Yeah. I think it will happen to at the same extent that it's happening now. If you look at uh, fake reviews, not fake reviews, but scam reviews or um, not sp- spam reviews is what I'm thinking about. We get those on our app all the time. Increase your downloads, uh, click here or call this number or find this on WhatsApp. And it happens. Um, I don't think it's going to happen anymore any less. I think it's just now there's going to be a mechanism to more easily at least attribute that to something. The question is, who's going to be reading all of them and what's the process like on the Apple side to go through and say, okay, what what like what what are the steps? Step number one, check out their website. Step number two, download the app. I I would love to know what those are. I think that's going to be yeah. a pivotal one. I totally agree. I, every year, there's a bunch of whenever there's new guidelines and the guidelines change ever so slightly. There's going to be somebody who gets rejected who shouldn't have been, and that becomes a big brouhaha, right? It happens a couple times every season, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think part of like my complaint with the App Store review guidelines and everything else has never been like, okay, yeah, Apple has to stay gray. I don't think people get the legality of a like multi-billion-dollar company how easy <laughs> they are to sue if they put things in plain black and white. And so I get why the language is a little fuzzy. It gives them yep. wiggle room to say, I want to pull this out. I don't want to pull that. But I really feel like the App Store review team, I, I, again, beautiful, wonderful people. Like they've always been nice to me. I, every time I've had a rejection I thought was like totally uncalled for, I would just call them out and I'd say, hey, I don't believe this. Look, th- this here are the five reasons. And they don't tell me why. They're, they don't say, yeah, Joe, you're right. They just immediately approve my app. <laughs> <Right>? so, <laughs> but I know some people have had less like, luck than that. So what I would like to see with the app review team, to your point, if there are going to be a lot more people reporting things and there's going to be a lot more feedback, that feels to me like they need to A, staff up, and get more people yeah. out there and then B, make sure that they're, the word is coming down from on high. What exactly does this guideline mean? Yeah. Um, because right now we kind of have a willy nilly where some reviewers interpret it one way and some reviewers mm-hmm. interpret it another way. And now you're left with that whole like, is this going to be approved tomorrow or not? And this is kind yeah. of a critical update. And I really, you know, <laughs> like I've done things where I was like, I, I'll, I'll put something in the app and like five, six, seven versions later, they'll call me. They'll say, hey, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, you've approved the last six. <laughs> so like, why suddenly yeah. is this a problem? Uh, those kinds of things really frustrate people. So the more that they could say, like, here are the rules, hard and fast, like internally, they don't have to tell us what their mechanism is, yeah. but like, just say, like, don't ever reject someone for this sort of thing. I'm More sure there are many notes. Say. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure there are many notes in my file. They're like, don't reject this guy over this one again, please. Because <laughs> <laughs> he just gave us so much of, of a headache over that. He just wouldn't shut up about it. So we just let him go. <laughs> I would love to see our file. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yours, yours has to be way worse than mine. <laughs> <laughs> moving on <laughs> uh, but yeah I, I think this is definitely all the privacy stuff is going to be very interesting because they added privacy stuff both on on the terms and in the guidelines of what you can and can't do um, and like you were saying they are a little bit vague so they say your app is supposed to do something that adds value that hasn't really changed over the years but they're slowly tweaking it i think to the point where they can more slightly less arbitrarily but more forcefully remove apps that are scams. So I think Costa in our live chat a few weeks ago brought up a a dog whistle for your Apple Watch that costs $520 a year. 
my god. <laughs> so you can say, well, if someone really wants a dog whistle and they're willing to pay five hundred and twenty dollars a year, why should Apple be the the gatekeeper there? Um, right. But you know, they're also not really making it obvious that you're going to pay so much money, and they're forcing you to pay all this money. And I think the new guidelines are going to make it easier for Apple, like you said, a billion dollar company, the trillion dollar company. Yeah. <laughs> to move their lawyers and and defend themselves in case where someone actually tries to, you know, just be just be annoying and try to waste their time, and I think that's really what it's all about. Yeah. So I yeah, I exactly. like that. It's like most places, you know, the, 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 uh, one or two or you know a handful, but in case of Apple, a handful is millions probably of bad actors like making it bad for the rest of us, right? And so yeah. and that's the trick. It's all it's all a matter of scale. And percentages. Yep. So the the reason why you're able to find so many scams is because it's such a mar it's a market that like is is very attractive to scammers, right? So uh, I can't even begin to imagine how hard it is for Apple to keep up with it. I mean, they say they reject hundreds of thousands of apps you know, every year, yeah, um, you know, that are obvious scams. But then how do you get the ones that are like? And yeah, you, you could look at one app that you happen to find through a search and say like, hey, how did they not catch that one? Well, it's like, well, yeah. that was one. Yeah, they they caught six hundred that day and they missed this one, right? So like. That's the kind of scale we're talking about. It can't be easy, but they do have to get better at it. I'm not, I'm not trying to give them yeah. an excuse for that. Yeah, I mean, they have to keep cracking down on it. So if these guidelines help with that, great. Um, yeah. I was very excited about the guideline that said that if uh, if your app creates an account, you have to delete an account. You have to have a mm -hmm. delete button somewhere in the in the app. Uh, that, that made me very happy because now I can finally download Facebook one last time and delete my Facebook account. <laughs> <laughs> the last time, the last time I tried that, I couldn't figure out how to do it. It was like, it was like worse than canceling yeah. a gym membership. It was like, it was, it was like, <laughs> no, 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 go to here, do this, do that. I couldn't even log in at first. And it, cause I hadn't used, I haven't logged into Facebook in like 15 years. Um, <laughs> and so I, yeah, I'm just, I'm just waiting for the day when I hear that that delete button is in the app so I can go press it. Now knowing Facebook, they want to actually delete my data yeah. anyway, but. Absolutely it's weird. It, and again, that's a perfect example of a fuzzy guideline that, you know, it, what does delete my account mean exactly? Does yeah. it mean delete all my data too? Does it mean this? Uh, does it mean like I start the process of deleting and then like uh, you, I get to send you five emails saying, please don't go? Or yeah. is it like, does it actually have to like kill the account right out, right out of the gate? Like Apple hasn't made that clear yet. So I think, you know, that one's going to, there are going to be some rejections over that one for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I can see that. I don't think the rejections are going to come for Facebook. I think they're going to come for all the smaller players who don't know how to defend themselves just quite as well. Right. But hopefully right. it's I, I think it's an evolution. If you've seen the guidelines, I remember a long time ago when Apple just introduced subscriptions, I was uh, I was talking to someone from Apple at WWDC, someone that I've known for a long time. And I asked them, how do you intend to enforce not, you know, every app going and, and charging subscriptions? Do you have any any rules, anything in place? And he goes, no, not really. I said, we'll figure it out as we go along. <laughs> and um, I'm sure there was a little bit more to that that he couldn't tell me about back in those days. But the the mindset of we're willing to evolve, we're ready to evolve, we'll just evolve. I think that's right. the right way to do it. <laughs> that's why A-B testing is so crucial <laughs> to metadata. <laughs> so true. Yeah, Apple has the ultimate A-B test. How many years of not having A-B testing? And now, <laughs> like, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. Apple moves slower than we all want them to. Uh, and But I agree that they do. They, the App Store has changed so much more than people give them credit for. Uh, I, I don't think I think people forget exactly how like waiting seven days for a review used to be <laughs> you know? uh, and some of the really crazy arcane stuff we had to go through that isn't there anymore. Uh, and some of the rules that have changed. I mean, we used to not be able to talk about Dub Dub until September <laughs> right? when, yeah. the, when the actual you know, release came out. Uh, so yeah, the fact that they've, they, they've changed quite a bit. I mean, videos, you know, being able to be public and things of that nature, uh, again, not perfect, always slower than we want it to be, but moving in the right direction, at least I think.
absolutely. Um, and, and I think A-B testing and, and these tools that now give us access to the App Store are going to be the beginning of something more than that. It's going to be the beginning of the really the App Store optimization kind of renaissance. Um, mm. I, I talk about App Store optimization in the, from the lens of keyword and keywords and, and getting found, but conversion, which means when people come to your page from search and turning to a download, a lot of people don't think that there's a drop-off rate. People think that you get if you get to the landing page, that's it. You're a user right. and you have a download. And the answer is absolutely not. I've seen some apps that have a 3% conversion rate. Wow. 3%. <laughs> so most people yeah. have no idea what's going on or really don't like anything that's going on or are like, what is this next? Yeah. That's absolutely. A and people find apps accidentally all the time, uh, or they even download them and never open them. I, I've I've had apps where yeah, we put the analytics in there to find out like people like we had six hundred downloads and two people actually opened the app. So like they <laughs> they never opened it. Like weeks later, mm -hmm. they still haven't opened the thing. Uh, yeah, and it happens all the time. And that's that's the thing I like is not only is Apple giving us this A/B testing ability, but they're giving us pretty good data. I mean, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm guessing uh, what they what my understanding was from watching the talks is that we'll get not only those kinds of download numbers. Okay, so the blue icon got 50% more downloads than the red icon, but they'll say, but those those 50% red icon users are buying your in-app purchases much at a much yep. higher rate, and like that kind of data is completely you know invaluable. That's the kind of thing that was like a yep. complete black box to us. We had no idea when we tried to do our fake A/B tests, like what happens yep. after they actually download. So yeah, being able to trace that is pretty amazing. Absolutely, and I think I think attribution companies like AppsFlyer and some of the other ones are probably going to take a small, probably a small hit because the people who are using them usually have much larger campaigns and they need all the flexibility. But this means that indies and, and even uh, medium-sized teams are going to have access to these tools that they may have not used before because they're too expensive, too complicated, that mm -hmm. I think this is going to be great. I Actually, one of my most successful guides that I've put out is 16 A-B tests that you should run on your app. And it's just a bunch of ideas that I have, things that I've done over the years, mostly with uh, either the, our website. I've been A-B testing our website for the last few years, and there isn't a day where we don't have at least two or three A-B tests running in production. Every time it's something else, the color of the buttons, the positions, there's a little arrow, um, and they really help. They really, really help. And so if now we can do that for, for apps, I mean, and games, they, really, the sky is the limit. And I think... <laughs> There's a question from, again, from Susanna about implementing custom App Store landing pages. So just so there's no confusion, landing pages are not, they're not really meant for A-B testing. They're more meant to give audiences, different audiences, a more specific or more um, friendly, I would say, view of your app. And uh, the so I released a guide earlier today, actually, in case um, any of you haven't seen it, it's on our site. And I guess we can drop a link in the chat. And... Um, my example for a landing page was if you were a sports app and you're giving news, and it's similar to the example that Apple gave, you're going to have fans of teams from you know a whole bunch of different teams. And if you want to be nice in all your marketing, you're going to include as many teams as possible so you don't alienate one group or only focus on one, unless you really like that one team and you don't care about conversion. And with custom landing pages, if you know you're advertising to one team and you go to their forum and you say, hey, I have this team for scores, now you can lead them to a page that shows their team in all the screenshots. And I think that's gonna lead to much higher conversion. And you can do that with a whole bunch of other things. Like um, the other, uh, I think, experiment or other uh, example that they gave was characters in a game. And I know that I helped companies who do A-B testing for their games, also tweaking which character they show off first and how they show off characters. So that can be amazingly relevant. And um, the question has to do with how do you direct traffic into those custom landing pages? 
And the answer is just by using a URL. I was confused about that in the beginning too because they didn't cover it in the talk. They didn't really explain it until you go and you read the marketing material. And that's what well, we were talking before this about how WWDC and the, the sessions are a little bit, they feel lighter to me. They feel like they're shorter, they're, maybe they're made for quicker consumption and they lack some of the detail that I'm used to from WWDC in, in years before. And that's one example. So they said that you can give different audiences different landing pages, but they didn't explain how. And I find that to me, that's not great. Uh, but <laughs> the way you can do that is by having a custom URL. So every different landing page of the 35 that you have will have a different URL, which you can, um, like I said, put it in drop in a forum or run a paid ad for somewhere else like Google ads or Facebook ads or any of the other places. But you're directing this traffic. It's not tied to keywords or uh, habits or anything else on the App Store. Although maybe, you know, WWDC 2022. Just putting it <laughs> yeah, out you there. Never know. Yeah, so that that's true even for the AB variants, right? That is just a yep. random thing that Apple will just do. Like some people will go to this one versus the other variants. Or... Yeah, but you want to do that uh, with AB testing in general. You want it to be really as, as random as possible. So you have that sort of information really quickly and it's statistically mm -hmm. significant at the end. Right. We're actually going to do a series of webinars that we planned even before we knew Apple was announcing this coming up in July, July through the end of the year. Um, just about A-B testing. I, I just love it so much. So we invited a whole bunch of different guests from uh, companies that help with A-B testing, developers that do A-B testing. We did an AF chat with um, Ian from the BBC who was talking about A-B testing and seasonal A-B testing. And there's just so much insightful stuff to improve conversion there that we're going to try and bring back for, for a series. So more on that later. That's, I think that's going to be fun. And I did say before we started this chat that I can talk about A-B testing for at least an hour. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be quiet now. <laughs> or I'm going to move yeah, on yeah, to we... more interesting topics. <laughs> Maybe not more interesting, other topics. Um, so <laughs> other than this, a um, little thing that I found out is there is now a two-factor authentication authenticator app built into iOS 15 which yep. is cool. So you don't have to use your uh, whatever password manager you're using. You don't have to use Google Authenticator. And now, why is this a business thing, you ask? Um, <laughs> I think we're seeing more two-factor authentication across apps and across the, across the web in general. But I feel like some people just still don't know how to do it. So uh, I worked with, uh, I think, a lawyer who wanted me to sign up to something, one of our lawyers. And he said, oh, but you have to do this thing where they text you a thing and there's a code. It's really complicated. Let me know if you need help. It wasn't really complicated. And I helped him <laughs> later. But it's that mindset that if it's built into the iPhone and all you have to do is just tap a thing, it's going to become so much easier for those people to use. And I think we're going to see it more in apps. And it's much more secure. I mean, we're implementing two-factor authentication now for our stuff as well and i think you will see that across many more things because it's so much easier yeah totally i i have been on the war path to end the scourge that is username and password for a long time i, I always argue <laughs> like we're here you know we spent the last couple of decades on social media apps and and these things that are like okay we're taking pictures of bacon like we could be ridding the world of this like like i said like to me one of the worst decisions ever made was to rely all security <laughs> on computers on 1960s unix right? like username and password makes no sense to the average human and uh, you know i, I i've yeah. had people argue with me about this and they're wrong. They keep saying like, no, if they would just, you know, if your dad would just use this complex password, then he wouldn't have a problem. I'm like, no, he's never going to do that. He's a human being. Like he writes his passwords down on a piece of paper next to his computer because he can't remember yeah. them. And then like he tries to log in and two factor is just like, now we're just totally blowing his brain. Right. Exactly. So like, 
the more Apple could do this, I know they're they're working on a whole. They they released this kind of spec that they're hoping like in the future to use authentication that goes beyond passwords in general. Um, but for now, yeah, this this step of like having a, a password, a built-in password management kind of tool, and a a a generator of of one-time codes, uh, it, it's so much secure, more secure than text messages. Anyway, I know that was the big <laughs> thing with when, when people were trying to convince me of two-factor in the early days. They were like, "Oh, it's, it's a text message, and it's so secure because you have to have your phone and two, you know, two factors." Blah, blah. And I'm like, uh, "Yeah, but it's such a pain in the butt." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like exactly. I go to my, and you're assuming they have a phone with a text plan and all this other stuff, and like that they're yeah. connected. Like, what if they're uh, visiting from another country and they don't have a data plan or and they can't get to Wi-Fi? You know, all this other stuff. Uh, but it, it, these are all user hostile, right? And that, that was always my argument from day one. It's like, yeah, it makes you more secure. It makes you more certain that this is the person they say they are. But that doesn't help the person, the honest person yeah. trying to log in. And so any effort that, that makes that easier, I think, is a, it's, it's a huge thing for business because, like you said, it's, it's going to make your customers more able to log in securely. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so you can you can fight off those scammers, but without making it so hard for your regular customers that they you lose them before they even sign up for an account. So, yeah, whatever they can do to make that whole process better is a good thing. And I think Apple, it sounds like Apple's got like, a, you know, I thought some startup would figure this out and just be like, <laughs> you know, as far as I'm concerned, my computer, I'm looking at it. It should know who I am and it yeah. should know when I'm using it. Right. I shouldn't have to do anything like whether it's my fingerprints, my face combination, yep. his watches, his watches nearby. Uh, you know, it should be able to put those 10 things together and, and he's he's doing things he usually does at around, you know, this time of day. Like then it's like, okay, there are enough things to kind of be reasonably sure that this is Joe. All right, you know, just let him in. <laughs> right? yeah. Like I shouldn't have to type in this password that I, you know, it, it just, to me, it's, it's completely silly and it's not human. Uh, yeah. So to see Apple do this, I think was is a great step forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you said before about making passwords more, uh, more better for the, not for the end user, but for the service is really just a step backwards. Because if you think about all the passwords that I see today when logging into more enterprise-y things, you need an uppercase, a lowercase, no. a special character, and a digit. <laughs> um, I, I really hate those for a variety of reasons. But if you, yeah, if especially we take the one, one, especially the ones that are in a format that you know, like your password manager, like I use one password, last pass, whatever, like they they won't even create like you do a self-generating yeah. <laughs> password and it doesn't fit their format. I'm like, no, you just yep. defeated the whole purpose. Exactly. Yeah. And I think from the dad standpoint, just writing down something like that is a lot more likely than if they used a longer password with spaces. Take, right. I don't know, take a sentence from a poem that you'll like. And that's going to be much, it's actually much more secure if you think about it mathematically. And yet none of these mm -hmm. companies understand it. So they force you to do a character and they force you to do a, a letter, but you can't put a space in and you can't do anything more longer than 12 characters. <laughs> Who thought of this? Did you, were you thinking yeah. or is this just a requirement from some sheet that came from someone else from IT? Yeah, it's like there's something weird about your database where the password field can't be more yeah. than 16 characters. Like, <laughs> why would that be a good thing? Yeah, exactly. The, the Colorado uh, tax, like when I pay my estimated taxes every quarter here in Colorado, I have to put in my bank information every single time and it won't let me copy and paste. So I have to put in my account number by hand twice. <laughs> like I can't wow. even copy like, and I have to do my routing number twice. And I'm like, how is this more secure? Like I'm much more likely exactly. to type it wrong. Yeah, you know, I, I don't understand. But yeah, these decisions get made by people who usually don't understand uh, the algorithms I think that's behind what it. it. Yeah, yeah and, and that's where Apple can come in. And there's actually one more feature that should totally help with this, and that's passkey in the cloud, which sounds like SSH keys to me. Mm -hmm. And if yeah. that will can become a thing, and I, I will gladly be the first to implement that in our app, 
that can end passwords altogether. It does tie you into the Apple ecosystem because now you don't even have a way of saying, that's me, log me in. It's more like if your device knows it's you, then it will log you in. Right. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't remember the last time I was using a non-Apple device, maybe my car. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I do want this to become an open source thing. I would like to see it yeah. be universal. Because like I said, my my goal in life is to live long enough to see the end of passwords altogether. Uh, but uh, I think it's, again, a step in the right direction if it inspires someone to come up with a, an open plan. Or maybe Apple will open it up, uh, the standard. I don't know. But Whatever it takes, uh, I just I'm so happy to see someone moving in that direction uh, because it's it's so important to just you know, I, I think to the future of of humans using computers. Honestly, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I think also Apple uh, really opening up the uh, the NFC in the iPhone with access to wallet is a step in that direction. It's very yeah. limited, so I don't see too many companies using it. But I think it's a step in the right direction. It's not as open as Android, but it's open-ish. I would say with this. Yeah, I think the modern Apple is starting to kind of come around on some of this stuff, like the the new HomeKit uh, standard. What is it called? I guess something with an M or something. I forget. Um, but yeah, that the, that they're finally realizing, like, oh, they're not going to make HomeKit only devices or HomeKit compatible <laughs> yeah. with Alexa. They're saying like, oh wait, there's way more Alexa only devices out there. So they're like, what if we came up with a standard that everyone could follow? Uh, and you know, like, they want to be part of that standard. They want to influence it, like just like they did with USB-C, right? Uh, we want to we want to be able to dictate some terms, but at the same time, we want it to be available everywhere because we lose when things are too proprietary. Um, it's like it's an interesting thing where Apple, like they held on to that, they, they hold on to that lightning connector, but yeah. <laughs> USB-C, no, okay, like they know when they need to give in and when not to. And I'm hoping the password thing is, is one of those things where they can be like, okay, let's make this a worldwide kind of standard that we can, yeah. uh, we can all, yeah. Uh, that would be super. I think that would be ideal. It's going to take a while until I think all apps implemented and you can figure out how to do it securely for websites. Because if you have to have a password to log into a website and then you can log in from your device without one, it could create confusion and unpleasantness, right. but give it a few years. And I think, I think we'll slowly get there. Um, in addition yeah. to all of this, you can, if you think about all the, we talked about the changes to guidelines around privacy, but they're, they're also adding functionality for privacy that I'm, I'm somewhere on the fence about. Um, I like some of it from a, I don't know if I like it from a user perspective. I definitely, I understand why they're doing it from a user perspective. And, and I'm uh, speaking specifically about things like um, not tracking opens on emails, so the, um, um, the pixel or the um, any, any sort of tracking on emails, which oddly enough, that's something that Google also turned off a while ago. And yet it still somewhat works for a lot of Gmail, uh, Gmail emails. So I'm not entirely sure how that's going to work. But what I think is most interesting is the um, the iCloud private relay, which is like a VPN right in Safari. Yeah, It's interesting that Apple is offering a VPN, and it, it kind of feels like a conflict of interest on the one hand, because VPN should be really as far away from anything you know. But at the same time, so many VPNs have gone rogue, and we're not real VPNs, or just stealing your data, that Apple has to have these tools now. And I think that's going to be interesting. And if you um, even zoom out a little bit and you think about how attribution and ads and all those still use this sort of information to track you. I think that's why Apple did it because some apps will kick you over to into Safari for some sort of a, a handoff. And I think that's for tracking. So if you add a VPN in the middle, now they're in trouble. And, and I think that the open tracking and really the, the hide my email feature that uh, I, I started seeing it's going to be really interesting for marketers who are using these tools. So I, for example, have a new, have, we have a newsletter um, at Figures. We have multiple newsletters. 
And we look at this information all the time. How many people open? Where do they open from? What can we do? What time is best to send? Um, what time is best to send by country? Should we localize into specific languages? And it kind of sounds like all this information is going now. And a lot of our user base uses mail and uses iPhone. So I'm not lo loving this, uh, this improvement, quote unquote. But at the same time, I totally see it because spammers can use open tracking to detect if your email is real. And so where do you draw the line and say features versus uh, protection and privacy? Uh, but I think just like Apple has been opening up the App Store for A-B testing, they'll also eventually make this a little bit work a little bit more smoothly or streamline it for companies who are not abusing this data and are using it to improve their content, to improve their sense. So uh, I think that's interesting for businesses who do communicate like that. And that's going to become kind of a challenge, but hopefully eventually it will evolve. Yeah, I've learned to appreciate the value of analytics and data over time, talking to you, obviously, but also <laughs> through uh, you know, just the, the various companies I've worked with that had marketing teams that actually were doing this stuff. And you like you start to realize like, oh, that's why they want me to put in this convoluted SDK and like I'll lose a whole day, a day of my life dealing with somebody else's code. But like, but that data is why I'm getting paid, because now we know what to do versus what not to do. So you're absolutely right. It's one of those things that um, if the world were full of good people and there weren't any bad actors uh we'd mm -hmm. be able to have this data and no one would be abusing it and i think everyone would be okay with that i mean i certainly share my analytics with apple i share it with other companies that I, i'm pretty sure like you know i mean if you ask me hey do you mind if i track how you use my website and where you're clicking i'd say sure um but it it the problem is that there are those bad actors and so apple is trying to like the idea of a wouldn't have had to go away if people weren't abusing it right so uh, I, I see why they continue to want to lock down and double down on the privacy thing. A, it makes them a differentiated company from anyone else. Like literally no one else can, they can claim they tried to reinvent the word privacy, <laughs> Facebook <laughs> and Google, and um, but no one bought it. Uh, and But they are buying it from Apple. Yes, it serves their purpose, uh, but it also does protect their users. So I, I think the marketers ultimately will find a way to get the information one way or the other, hopefully in ways that are more private. Uh, like yeah. you get the data you need to actually do your job. Uh, and hopefully you're right. Hopefully Apple will listen to that. If, if there's a lot of kickback and saying like, hey, those open rates in emails were really important. Uh, you know, is there any way we could ask for permission, at least from, you know, for mail to go ahead and send that to certain people that we approve? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know. But like there's got to be some sort of compromise in between because it is true. Like a lot of startups wouldn't get anywhere if they didn't have enough data to know what they were doing right or wrong. Yeah, and it. it goes into uh, how much money you invest, how much time you invest. For example, for those of you who do get my my Friday newsletter, um, you know that I spend a lot of time tweaking things. <laughs> if you pay enough attention, you'll see that almost every week something little changes. And those little changes I actually track over time and I wanna see if they improve the amount of time that, or the number of clicks that people go into our reports from there or the number of people, or the number of people who actually use the referral system, which is how you can get this mug little plug um, or my shirt actually not not this shirt but my shirt in general um, but these sort of things are actually what makes it possible for us to continue offering a newsletter that has a ton of insights completely free and unlike any other company who charges a ton of money for these sort of insights or back in the day something like an analyst report um, it, and it's because I can I'm, I'm able to really just grow the user base by making little tweaks and seeing how they affect stuff so Again, I totally understand why Apple would try to block it, not because of me, but I do see a world in which Apple um, makes this a little bit better. So maybe not giving all the information away. I don't care about specific users maybe doing specific things, but I care about aggregates. I care about countries. I care about uh, trends over time. 
And so if there's somewhere somewhat of a happy medium between the two, I think that would be very interesting. Um, I'm seeing some chatter in the chat about landing pages that I, I think is really critical. And uh, I've been optimizing landing pages for years, and so all of this speaks to me. But if you, um, so Susanna and, and a few other people have been talking about what sort of information you're going to get for those landing pages, because how you push traffic into the landing page and convert out of the landing page is going to be amazingly critical. And um, I think the, the Apple hasn't really said too much, and I've watched all the possible sessions and read every possible piece of text they have on it. So I don't know is, is the real question more than any, anyone else. Um, but I think we're going to get some basic information. We're going to get the downloads. We're going to get the page views. We're going to get enough to know how well they're working. We're going to get retention, which I think is very important. We're going to get actual purchases, which is very important. But I don't think we're going to get other things. Um, Kenneth, if we're, we'll get um, searches or anything else or keywords, and I am pretty sure the answer is no. But there is a way to fix that. If you put, because these are, these are URLs and they're not inside the store, what you can do is you can actually set up a landing page on your website that either redirects to the landing page on, um, in the App Store or has a, an actual landing page with buttons and, and other things to convert. And those you can also A-B test using something like Google Optimize or any of the other A-B testing tools or if you have one of your own. And so you have a lot of customizability and a lot of flexibility with how you do tracking on top of these URLs because you're driving traffic. So you're going to do all the, all the traffic. You're going to bring all the traffic. You have full control over where it's coming from and how it gets tracked. Um, beyond that, all you really need from the App Store is just those four or five numbers, um, like downloads and revenue and retention and page views. Um, and then you get to do everything else. Like None of this here actually touches on the keyword side of ASO, which I don't see Apple doing anything with because the one thing they don't want to open up. They don't want to tell people how to get their results up. They want it to be organic. And I think that's the right thing to do. You don't want to have any everyone gaming the system. But as a developer now, because the App Store is, is so much more, um, I would say, friendly to businesses, you really have to do it. And I've been saying that for a long time, that if you don't run these experiments, either with your metadata or with your keywords or anything else, you're really just giving someone else more money. Um, and I think all these moves from uh, from Apple are just showing us that Apple is thinking the same way. And so landing pages are one way to look at Apple's given us tools to, to do better in the App Store. A-B testing is by far, in my opinion, the biggest addition and a life-changing addition. I actually went back for the for the article that I wrote earlier um, for all throughout all the iterations that Apple has, always 14, 13, 12. I got to 11 where they added uh, reset ratings or no need to reset ratings. And I think that's kind of one of the bigger ones that I would say are as big as A-B testing. But that's pretty much it. And Apple changed pretty much everything. They introduced subtitles in iOS 11, not as important as A-B testing. Yeah. Um, they changed a whole lot of stuff. Um, there's also one other little thing that I really like, uh, and that's there's an App Store widget now. I don't know who's going to use it, but Imagine that how awesome getting featured is on the Today page. Now, not only will people be able to see you when they go to the App Store, they can also just see you on their homepage. So that can be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I don't know who's going to actually put that on their homepage. But uh, you'd also have the smart stack suggestions. So I'm wondering if, uh, although maybe Apple can get in legal trouble for this, but like if they actually yeah. use the, like if they know, but honestly, I mean, if they know you go to the app store to browse like every Tuesday mm -hmm. at three o'clock in the afternoon, why wouldn't they suggest that to you? Right. So yeah. 
possibly they could get away with that but yeah they could get into some serious like they already have enough kind of uh antitrust yeah. <laughs> problems right now uh but they could in theory they could inject that widget into a smart stack um conveniently yeah. for you and then you, then you would see apps on on your homepage. yeah that would be yeah. pretty neat uh you know uh yeah i you know i had a question for you uh, revolving around these uh landing pages do you think uh, obviously this isn't going to happen right now but do you think that now that they're giving us these custom URLs, not the A/B tests of like search results, but like not, you know, not the variants of your actual homepage, but these these URLs. Do you think if since Apple's going to be able to track who downloaded from that, who purchased from that, do you do you see a future where Apple would say, okay, that was your customer, you brought them to our store, so we're only going to charge you ten percent for them or five percent or something like that? Like, do you think they would ever go that complicated? I doubt it. Um, yeah. I believe Windows <laughs> does that. The Microsoft Store does that. They lower the fee for, for right. traffic that you bring to the store. I don't see Apple doing that because I don't think they like toying with their with the percentages. What they did with the 15% yeah. for the small business program was unheard of, and I think that's a once in a lifetime type of thing. So I, I don't see that happening. Uh, but at the same time, there might be some maybe more uh, more information that you can get if you bring in, you bring people from outside the store into the store. I know, for example, that on Google Play, when you do that, um, your ranks increase. And so there is some sort of attribution. They're thanking you for bringing people outside the store into the store, and they're lifting you up a little bit. It gets a little bit more complicated than that, but that's the, at the high level. I don't know if Apple's sophisticated enough to make that happen. Not sophisticated in the sense that they can't technologically, but sophisticated enough in a sense that it's worth them tweaking the algorithm to now take an input that is kind of easily gameable. And we know the app store is already gameable with uh, with ratings, as Costa from from the Skim um, talk mentioned. And we know that ratings really impact your keyword ranks. So you have a really easy way to game keyword ranks. And so I don't know if they want to introduce another one of those, but maybe in five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it does feel way too complex i mean even like because a lot of people were hoping that the small business thing would be more like a progressive tax rate like the more money you made rather than just saying okay you made more than a million you're instantly bumped up to 30. uh yep. yeah like they were hoping that it would be more like well we'll only tax you on you know we'll, we'll give you the 30 percent only on this sales past the million you know um which you know seems like and i think that's what google ended up doing or something yep. uh but yeah, it just felt like Apple went for the simplest possible to implement solution. And you're right. It's like they, they have, and again, because of their scale, they need to keep it simple unless they wanted to exactly. devote a lot of resources to it. And Apple historically has never wanted to devote too many resources to this <laughs> as opposed to the retail operations and you know all the other millions of things they're doing. They're doing. Yeah. Um, they like to stay lean for, for the App Store for the most part. Yeah, that's very true. I think we're out of time, but there's one question that we get we didn't get to, and the question is from David, who also mentioned that Windows did do what I said, but it, but quietly phased it out. So that's good to know. Okay. <laughs> didn't work. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I guess we have our answers then. Not not happening in five years. Um, but the question has to do with I believe this goes back to when we talked about subscriptions and the and StoreKit two the API and ask for a refund. And that's only going to be available in iOS 15. Why is that? And yeah. if that's going to be a problem with um, as people don't have iOS 15 on on their device, yeah. I don't what, have what any good theories. Yeah, I mean, I think that Apple, again, for the sake of simplicity, they want to encourage people to iOS 15. They know that in a few months after they release in September, October, that 98% of people will be on iOS 15 anyway. Yeah. 
but you know, there are those of us who have to support 14 or whatever. Uh, the only thing I could say is you're going to have to do some kind of if, if statement to be like, okay, well, if they're on 15, then offer them the refund page, but if they're not, then you're stuck. Um, and that kind of does suck. And I agree. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of arguments about whether, you know, why AB uh, or async await wasn't available for earlier versions too. Uh, I imagine that's a lot more complicated than just StoreKit. I mean, since StoreKit lives on a server, you'd think that they would make that available separately. Um, but I don't know whatever Apple's reasoning is for that. I just know that, yeah, you are going to have to be uh, only uh, only able to uh, offer those things to uh, iOS 15 customers. Uh, and that's kind of unfortunate because you know, the app I'm working on, I'm sure I won't be able to go 15 only until at least January, mm. February. And that's pretty progressive compared to a lot of other apps that are <laughs> yeah. still, you know, if you're Netflix, you're still supporting iOS 10, you know, <laughs> like, so uh, yeah, it's kind of, it kind of sucks, but you can at least have those uh, new features available to your new customers. Uh, which is good if, if, you know, the ones who are on iOS 15, if you're willing to work or, you know, do a little bit of a, a workaround for them. Yeah. I think one of the cool things about iOS 15 is it's going to be available all the way back to the iPhone SE. So 6S, I believe, is in the mix, maybe even 6. I don't yep. remember the list, but it's like everything. Yes, yeah. yeah. So if you have if you have less than an S, I think your phone probably doesn't work anymore for a variety of reasons. <laughs> and the charging port is probably all clogged up with lint and you can't hear anything out of the speakers. <laughs> so you probably want to trade up anyway. But um, I think it has to do with, one, they want to make sure people move to iOS 15 because I bet you there's more to iOS 15 that they didn't even announce as far as um, how the code is around privacy, how things internally are around security. And so they just want to push more people into that. And they know it's going to happen. Uh, I think that's not... We've seen all the charts over the years. The adoption for iOS is just really high. We've seen it with um, iOS 14.5 that brought app tracking transparency which kind of ended a lot of a lot of people's reign on on private data and many many people have been very unhappy about what happened but the adoption just kind of happened almost overnight within a few weeks i shouldn't say overnight you've seen enough people to just kind of turn off the the hose that facebook had on the sort of private data and if you follow any of the att stuff that people have been talking about people running ads on facebook are seeing much 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 worse results over the last month or so because um, it's so immediate, that sort of adoption. So you can see it as a negative if you're, if you're doing ads on Facebook, but from uh, just adoption, just an ado looking at adoption, it's going to happen relatively quickly. So I yeah, think that's it is. Yeah, it's surprising that two years in a row, Apple didn't cut off any hardware. So any, any phone that can run iOS 13 can also run. 14 and 15 now, uh, yeah. which is pretty wild. Uh, and yeah, that used to be pretty common in the Mac world. Like your Mac used to be able to run the, the latest version for quite a few uh, iterations. But in iOS, we, we were lucky to get like three, four versions up and then we're out. You know? So like, it's it's very interesting to me that they're stretching it like a five-year-old phone could still, but yeah. it, it speaks to what I think you're right is that they want everyone to adopt these things. Uh, mm -hmm. they, and I'm sure they're going to do their usual aggressive push. Like, hey, are you sure you don't want iOS 15? You really want it. Come on, go on, come, come down with it. Um, you know, it's pretty hard to avoid. I know there are some people who just religiously won't upgrade their phones, period. Like, they're just like, I'm not doing it. I'm like, why aren't you on Android? Um, but <laughs> like, I, I think that, um, you know, for the most part, every person that they can possibly inspire to bump up to 15, they will. And so, yeah, you're right. It might not be that big a deal for too long. Agreed. Cool, and I think with that, we're kind of officially out of time. Mm -hmm. We managed to get through most of the stuff I had on my list. That's pretty That's cool. Pretty good. Yeah, well done. This was very insightful. I love talking to you, Joe, about business stuff. It's uh, <laughs> it's always fun. Yeah, every year when we do yep. this. Uh, same, hopefully, same here. 
everyone else, you enjoyed the conversation. Uh, thank you for raising a question or for participating in the chat. Hopefully we got your questions answered. If we didn't for whatever reason and you still have questions for us, you can find me on Twitter by my full name, Ariel McKaylee. I'll throw that into the chat uh, where you can ask me anything. Joe, should we drop your Twitter into the chat too? Yeah, absolutely. Feel free. It's not easy to spell, but yeah, you definitely want to just throw it in the <laughs> yeah. chat so people can copy and paste it. <laughs> That's what I figured. And there is a lot more to come on A-B testing, on how to use all these features, uh, how to take advantage of custom landing pages. I All these questions gave me ideas for yet a new guide. So maybe we'll see that next week. And um, overall, I think iOS 15 is going to be really good for developers and also users, but developers. So yeah. <laughs> That's it to me. Thank you for joining us, Joe. Uh, again, this was a pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for joining us from wherever you are in the world. This was a truly uh, international crowd. And we'll see you all. Um, I'm actually hosting another one of these next week to talk about retention and see how Adidas is doing their retention with their app. So that's going to be another good one if you are thinking about the business side of apps. And if you want to join us, we'll drop a link to that in the chat as well. Um, and that's it. I think it's time to say goodbye. Goodbye.